Uh, we're so glad you're here tonight. And on Sunday nights, we are studying the book of, uh, book of John. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to the book of John, chapter 18. The book of John, chapter 18. And as we did last week, we're going to read a few verses, but then we're going to look at the whole chapter tonight because it's the, the longest night as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. The book of John, chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. Jesus has already told the disciples that he's going to die. They, they, they don't get it. They don't understand. He's telling them what's going to take place. They don't get it. They're, they're missing it. He talks, as Jamie was saying, he talked about the comforter. They don't understand. He's, he's already told Peter, Peter, you're going to, to deny me three times tonight. And Peter doesn't understand, doesn't get it. And now we pick up the story in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all things, that they were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. And so when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And therefore he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke, of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. And Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Pray with me. Our Father, tonight as we look at this chapter, I pray that you'll help us to understand it. But Father, that we'll see it in our mind's eyes. Father, let it become alive to us tonight. But also, Father, help us to understand not only what took place, but why. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The winter solstice occurs either the earth pole when it reaches the maximum tilt away from the sun. And so every year you have, happens twice a year, once in the northern hemisphere, once in the southern hemisphere. When the winter solstice takes place, what happens is that day becomes the shortest day of the year. But that night becomes the longest night of the year. And for those who are keeping score, this year will be Thursday, December 21st. 2023 will be the longest night of the year. Now, it's the longest night of the year by logic and by science. But sometimes the night can be long just by the events. Tonight, we're going to be looking at chapter 18. There's going to be a lot of information, a lot of material. Keep your Bibles open. And, and as I told Hank, hang on. A lot of information is coming your way. But so much has taken place here, and it really has become the longest night. Jesus had been trying to prepare his disciples about what was going to take place. He told them what was taking place. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. 
They've heard him pray the, the priestly prayer. He's told them about he will protect them. And now we pick up in verse 1 that they're on their way. They're going to, to Gethsemane. It says in verse 1, they went forth over the, the ravine of the Kedron when, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. He's going to this place, and to get there, you had to go over this little brook called the Kidron uh, outside the Garden of Gethsemane. This is on the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane is a garden, about, about a third of an acre. This is where Jesus went many times to pray. The disciples knew this. In fact, Judas knew this. This is how Judas knew where he was. This is where Jesus goes when he comes here. He's going to be there tonight. And so here he is. He's going to this garden. And remember, you know, the beginning in the book of Genesis, we, we see the story of mankind began in the Garden of Eden. Well, in this garden, Judas is going to betray his master. Jesus is going to be arrested so that Jesus can restore what happened in the first garden. This place has a lot of history in the Old Testament. This is where King David uh, was there once. And when Absalom, his son, remember Absalom was trying to take over and, and David ran away. And 2 Samuel chapter 15 said, and all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook uh, Kidron and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. David ran away. He went away crossing this brook. And now in the New Testament, we, we see the contrast. Here's King David fled crossing the brook to get out of Jerusalem. But here's King Jesus crossing the brook the other side to go to the cross. King David was fleeing from his rebellious son. But here is Jesus obeying the perfect will of his heavenly father. We see King David fleeing for his safety. But here we see King David, uh, King Jesus walking to the hands of his rebellious disciple, Judas. This is going to be a long night. And in chapter 18, there are three focuses tonight I want us to look at. The first focus is the focus on the arrest. The focus on the arrest. We see in, in verse 3 that Judas brings the cohort. Now, there's something interesting about that. John mentions this. He, he talks about as they're coming, verse 3, Judas then having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. He's bringing an army. So this is not just a handful of men. This is a cohort. This, this is the idea. He's bringing the Roman army. He's bringing the Jewish police. That word cohort has a meaning of a large group. It could be anywhere from 200 to 1,000. And so in this time period, you didn't have many soldiers in Jerusalem, but at the Passover, there'd be many soldiers because they were going to keep the peace. And here's Judas. He is bringing the Roman guard. He's bringing the Roman soldiers. He's bringing the, the temple police. He's bringing the Jewish, poli Jewish police to take one man. They're bringing a small army. Now, why would they do that? See, I believe they, they're doing this because they think that the people are going to rise up. Because Jesus was the Messiah. They're expecting a, re, a rebellion. And that's why they brought this incredible large group of men. Anywhere again from 200 to 1,000 men. So what does Jesus say? Jesus knowing all things. In verse 4 he says, whom do you seek? Now he knows who they're seeking. They're seeking him. But he wanted them to say the answer. In verse 5 they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. Now, by the way, if you notice in your Bible, that word he is in italics. Remember what that means? If something is in the italics in the Bible, that means the word is implied, but it's not there. So what Jesus actually said 
I am. And look what happened. Verse 6. And when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. All through the book of John, we see how Jesus keeps saying the word I am. Referring back to when Moses was talking to God in the burning bush. He said, who do I say sent me? And God says, say, I am. And so Jesus said, I am the living water. I am the door. I'm the great good shepherd. Over and over, Jesus is saying, I am. Seven times he says it in John, referring to the fact that he is the deity. And now you have this large army, and Jesus says, I am. And they fall back. They're not falling to worship him. The word means fall back. They are falling back because of the power of God. Here we see a glimpse, a glimpse of the power of Jesus. There's no way they could have arrested him if he didn't want them to arrest him. He says, I am. And they fell back. Again, verse 8 and 9, Jesus asked them again, who do you see? They said, Jesus the Nazarene. And then he says in verse 8, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way. Jesus said, look, I'm the one you're after. I'm the one you're coming to arrest. My friends, my disciples, I want you to let them go. Do you remember what Jesus prayed the last chapter? To protect the disciples. Do you remember what Jesus told the disciples? I'll be with you. Remember what Jesus told the Heavenly Father? He said, I'm not going to lose a single person you have given to me. And so we're still seeing this picture of our Lord Jesus taking care of his people. Jesus will always take care of us. No matter what we're going through, no matter what trials or tribulations we may face, I tell you tonight, you can trust Jesus to be there with you. And so here he is. He's saying, I'm, let these guys go. In verse 10, then Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. Now, he wasn't trying to cut off his ear. He's trying to cut off his head. Okay? He's a fisherman. He's not a swordsman. He just missed. And Jesus said to Peter, put put the sword up. Now, you got to give credit to Peter. Now, sometimes I think we're a little hard on Peter. Here is Peter. There's 12 of them. And an army of 200 to 1,000 men, and Peter's saying, we can take them. Now, I'm ready to die right here. you got to give credit for Peter. Now, later on, something bad's going to happen. But he's willing to die for Jesus. He's willing to put his life on the line with one sword against all those. And Jesus said, Peter, put it up. Verse 11, the cup which the Father has given me Shall I not drink it? Now, in 21st century America, we have no idea what that means. But the Jews did. You see, in the Old Testament, the, the, the word, the cup, meant the cup of wrath of God. The cup was that settled, merciless, graceless, compassionless response to sin. How God will bring Judgment. What Jesus is saying, I must drink the cup. I must take the wrath of God for you, Peter. I must do this. If you're going to survive, you're going to have eternal life, I must take the wrath of God. That's what the cross did. Jesus took the wrath of God for our sins upon him. He says to Peter, I've got to do this. And so we see very clearly, Jesus is not taken against his will. Never think that. He willingly offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins. Jesus was not a victim of an angry mob. He was in total control of the situation. 
And he was in total control of this dark night. He was in total control of everything. You see, please understand this. And we're going to look at this later on in, in on the morning service in a few weeks. God is always in control of the situation. God is always in control. We don't see it. We, we see a glimpse of it. But God is always in control. The reality, the sovereign plan of God is going to be fulfilled. And Jesus is saying, do you not understand, Peter? I must do this. I'm the only one that can do this. Here we find the courage to trust him, even when we don't understand everything that's happening. They don't understand what's happening. They see this mob taking Jesus. And Peter is looking at Jesus, and Jesus said, put up the sword. It's okay. I've got to do this, Peter. That's why I came. I came to take that cup of vengeance. And then in verse 13, we see the focus change. It focuses on Peter, the denial of Peter. Look down at verse 15. And Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now the disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciples who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. And then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you're not also one of the men's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officer were standing there having made a charcoal fire for it was cold and they were warming themselves and Peter also was warming with them. Here's Jesus, here's Peter. He's following Jesus. He's following them as they're taking Jesus away. And they go to the, the home of the, the high priest and they go into this courtyard. Peter is in the enemy territory. He thinks he's safe. He thinks he's, he's okay. No one's gonna notice him. And then this maid says to him, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? And you can almost imagine Peter's heart skipping a beat. She recognized him, and he said, no, I'm, I'm not one of those guys. What are you talking about? A few moments later, as he's warming himself, verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and so they said to him, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? And he, and he denied it and said, I'm not. A second time, he denied Christ. He's warming himself by the fire. Then verse 26, and one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one who ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Peter denied Jesus to a maid. Then he denied Jesus again at the fire. And then finally, he denied Jesus one more time. In fact, the Bible says in, in, in one of the gospels that he cursed and in Luke chapter 22, verse 61, there's a powerful verse. It says, at that moment, in verse 61 of chapter 22, the book of Luke, it says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? I mean, by this time, Jesus' face is black and blue. By this time, his eyes are almost swollen shut. By this time, his cheeks are bruised. He's covered with spittle. His trace of blood on his lips. And there is Peter warming himself at the fire. And he looks at Jesus, and he remembered that Jesus said, tonight you will deny me three times. And Jesus doesn't even have to say a word. He looks at Peter, and Peter's world crashed. Because the look that Jesus gave him was the convicting look. You said you did not know me, Peter. Look at me, Peter. Do you not know me? It was a compassionate look. Peter, I knew you were weak. 
Now, now that you know that without me you can do nothing, it's going to be okay. It was a commissioning look. Peter, I'm going to use you again. Go strengthen your brothers. And the Bible said that Peter went out and he wept. And he wept bitterly. Now his tears were tears of repentance. Judas' tears did not lead to repentance. Judas went and committed suicide. But Peter's tears led to repentance. How did this happen? I mean, a few moments ago, he was ready to die. He was ready to take on an army with a sword. The reason all this took place, he was surprised. Peter was willing to die for Jesus. He just wasn't ready to live for Jesus. You see, I have this belief, I, have this belief, I think many of us are willing to die for Jesus, but I think it's a lot harder to live for Jesus. I mean, if someone's going to kill you for your faith, I think many of us would accept it. But if someone asks you, what, do you really believe in miracles today? We might deny it. If someone's going to kill you for your faith, you may accept it. If someone asks you about your stance on, on biblical morality in this world, you might just deny it. I mean, if someone's going to kill you for your faith, you may accept it. But if someone asks you, do you think I'm going to go to hell if I don't accept Christ? you may not give the right answer. If someone's going to kill you for your faith, you may accept it. But if someone invites you to do something contrary to God's word, you may go ahead. We can deny Christ daily by our words and our actions and not even realize that. And that's what was happening to Peter. He thought he was doing the right thing by denying him because he was close to Jesus. What he didn't realize, he was denying Jesus. By the way, be very careful how you feel about Peter. Because any of us could be like that, given the right circumstances. But then there's the focus of the illegal trial. The illegal trial. We pick up the story and we find in, in verse 13, they, they take, it says they led him to Annas first and then he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas who was a high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. And Jesus answered, I've spoken openly in the, to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. And I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. And when he said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify the wrong, but if I rightly, why do you strike me? So Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. They've arrested Jesus. They brought him to the high priest. They brought him to the second high priest. Now, they got a problem. What are they going to do to him? And so they decided to send him to the man who could put him to death. His name is Pilate. Verse 29. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusations do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered to you. So Pilate said, Hey, why are you wasting my time? Why are you bringing me this man? They said, Hey, 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 cool it. I mean, if he wasn't a bad guy, we wouldn't bring him to you. Pilate, you, you have to understand, he has to be a terrible person for us to bring him to you. So Pilate said, Take him yourself and judge him according to your law. 
In other words, this has nothing to do with the Roman law. This is Jewish law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. Pilate, we want this man to die tonight, and, and you're the only one that can do it. Verse 32, fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered again the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? You see, this is what Jesus is saying. Pilate, are you seeking me? I'll give you an answer. But if there's some kind of political ploy, I'm not. If you're really searching, Pilate, I'll give you an answer. But if all part of politics... I'm not. And Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come to the world, to testify the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Here's Pilate. He's interviewing Jesus. He's questioning Jesus. And Jesus says, I am a king. I'm the king of the truth. And Pilate gives this answer. He said, what is truth? being a little sarcastic. In Pilate's world, there's no truth. Now you have to understand something about Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor. He had the authority of Rome behind him. We actually know a lot about Pilate from history. Uh, he was known for keeping the peace. He was stationed there at Jerusalem. His job was to keep the peace. Let me read you some letters written about Pilate in that time period. Here's a letter uh, someone wrote uh, Agrippa to Caligula. This is about what it says about Pilate. Pilate is unbending, recklessly hard. He is a man of notorious reputation, severe brutality, prejudice, savage, violence, and murder. This is what another man wrote about Pilate. His name is Philo. He said, he, Pilate is a man of very inflexible disposition and very merciless. I mean, this sounds like a guy running a concentration camp. But this is the ruler of, of Jerusalem in the Roman Empire. You see, Pilate loved the Rome, Rome, Romans. He loved Rome. He didn't like the Jews. He hated Jerusalem. And so when Pilate came into, being, came into power, this is what he did. He brought his army down Main Street of Jerusalem, and he had their banners. And he placed the banners all over Jerusalem showing that Rome is in charge. Not only that, they brought the banners into the temple and put the banners around the temple. This was, against the, this was against the law. You're not supposed to have any images. I mean, it will, imagine if you were in the 1930s in, in, in Germany, and they brought in the, the Nazi flags and placed them all over the church. That would be the same thing. Not only that, they needed some money to, to build, build something. And so Pilate said, I know where the money is. He went into the temple and stole the gold. And then at the Passover, they had all these people come, and they were surrounded Jerusalem. It's kind of like a, kind of like a, a tailgating party. I mean, you had people from all over, and they were talking about the Messiah's coming. The Messiah's going to come, and they're going to kick the Romans out. 
One day the Messiah is going to come. It's going to be like King David. We're going to take over. We're going to take over the Romans. We're going to push them out. We're going to be in charge. And they kept talking. They kept building themselves up. And so Pilate had this idea. He had his Roman soldiers dressed as common people in the crowd. And they would find the people talking the most and beat them up severely. The Jews hated Pilate. And they brought Jesus to Pilate. They hated him. But they needed him. He says, what is the truth? Pilate says, I'm a politician. There's no such thing as truth. It's only what we perceive. Verse 39. He said, you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish that then that I release for you the king of the Jews? And so they cried out again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Every year, Pilate would release one prisoner at the high festival. And so he had a plan. He said, this Jesus is innocent. You can tell he's done nothing. I'll I'll just give him back to the people. According to the other scriptures, he gave the people a choice. Do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? Now, by the way, Barabbas' full name was Jesus Barabbas. Maybe he was trying to trick the people. Whatever the case, the people said, no, we want Barabbas. We want the robber. You keep Jesus. Everything I read to you tonight is true and it's all illegal. The trial of Jesus may have been the most illegal trial in the history of man. Let me give you just some, just some of the illegalities of it. Number one, the timing was unjust. They took uh, they, they took Jesus early in the morning. You're not supposed to do that. All trials were supposed to be conducted in the open, in front of the people during the day. They didn't do that. Before the trial, you're supposed to read the charges. They didn't read the charges. They took Jesus in the middle of the night, and against the Jewish law, they involved a capital offense which could not be conducted at night. If it was a capital offense, you could not meet at night anyway. You had to meet during the day. It had to be in front of the people. They took him at night. Trials were not allowed during the feast days. Feast days, people were traveling. And so you would never have a trial during the Passover, any of the feast days. And yet, here's Jesus in the middle of Passover, they're having a trial. I mean, it would be like arresting somebody today on Christmas Eve night, holding them uh, privately, and then at 2 a.m. having a trial. Secondly, the due process of the trial was unjust. The, The Jewish Sanhedrin... That, that's kind of like the Supreme Court. And so their job was to be very impartial. That was their job. You bring the case before them, they would listen, and they would bring a verdict. In this case, they brought the charge. They're not supposed to bring a charge. That's illegal. It's kind of like the, uh, the old Andy Griffith show. Remember old Andy? You know, he was the sheriff, but he was also the justice of the peace. How would you like it? I mean, how would you like to be arrested and then find out the person that arrested you is also the prosecuting attorney who is also the judge? That's what's happening here. It's illegal. Not only that, he was never officially charged about anything. They kept making observations, but there was never a charge. I mean, that's why Pilate said, what is the charge? They bring him to Pilate and say, he's causing a disturbance, sedition. Is that your charge? But they originally charged him with blasphemy. So which is it? 
Is it blasphemy or sedition? So he was arrested for one thing. They switched the charge against him because Pilate would have laughed if they said, he's blaspheming. Pilate said, I don't care. I don't care about your religion. So they changed the charge. Third, the use of witnesses in the trials were unjust. You know, one of the strengths of Jewish law was you had to have two witnesses or you had to throw it out. The other gospel shows that they didn't have any witnesses. In fact, in the book of Matthew chapter 26, they were going in the crowd trying to find someone to say they're a witness. And finally, they, they convinced some people to say, he said he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. They said, see, we told you, he, he's saying that he's the Christ. Well, he didn't say that. He just said about the temple. Everything about this is illegal. So here's Jesus. He's indicted on one charge, tried on a separate charge, and then condemned by his own testimony when he said, I am the king. They said, well, there it is. But you can't be charged by your own testimony. It's against the law, the Jewish law. One Jewish scholar said, no man can bring accusations against himself. Should a man make a confession of guilt before a legal constituted tribunal, such confession is not to be used against him. That's what Jesus did. He said, I am the king. They said, there it is. On his testimony, we will sentence him. That's totally illegal. The conviction process was totally unjust. I mean, the Jews were very careful in pronouncing on guilt. In this time period, very careful. The Mishnah, which, which, which talks about the law, said the judges shall weigh the matter with sincerity on their conscience. In other words, when the judge got a case, they had to think about it a lot. They didn't think about it at all. Not only that, according to the, uh, Matthew's account, the high priest tore his clothing. And that day, if you were upset, you would tear your clothing. Remember, oh, oh, I can't believe he's doing this. He tore his clothing. Leviticus chapter 21, verse 10, said the high priest among his brethren shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes. It was against the law for the high priest to rend his clothes. He's... You know why? Because if he tore his clothing, that was a sign of guilt. Not supposed to do it. You could incite fury, but he did. The ministry also indicated if you had a trial, they would vote, and they would vote in order. There was a process to vote. There was no vote here. Go back and look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke account. There was no vote. They just all at once started screaming. The sentencing was wrong. It was totally illegal. Everything about this was illegal. The sentencing was illegal. They accused him of blasphemy, which was killed by stoning, but they didn't want to do it themselves. And so, and according to the law of that day, if you had a judgment of guilt, you had to wait three days just to be sure. So if you found someone guilty, you couldn't kill them that day. You had to wait three days just to be sure. Maybe someone would come forward to clear the man's name. They didn't do that for Jesus. They found him guilty that night. Pilate's final consent was unjust. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, but he was unwilling to act upon it. He said he's innocent. He knew he was being manipulated by the Jews, but he had to keep the peace. He didn't want an uprising on his hand, so he decided, I'll just take care of Jesus. You see, Pilate would rather have peace with Caesar than have peace with Christ. Everything about this trial was illegal. Everything. But they wanted Jesus dead. 
And Jesus submitted himself to this. To die for you and me. And some of us are like Pilate. There's a choice we need to make. Do you believe what Jesus says and accept him? Or do you walk away? The Bible says that Pilate washed his hands. This man's blood is not on me. But it was. Because he could release him. You see, Pilate thought, I will decide not to decide. But here's the problem with that. Indecision is always a decision. Especially when it comes to Jesus. What shall I do with you, this Jesus, who's called the Christ? Well, you either accept him or you reject him. Those are the only two options you have. There's not a third option. You either give him the honor he's due, or you turn your back on him. And surely as Jesus stood before Pilate, one day at another judgment, we're going to stand before Jesus. And just as Jesus is in your hands this day, you've got to decide, what am I going to do with Jesus? Because he came here to die for us. And he offers a free gift of salvation. Will you accept it tonight? If you're watching online, if you'd like to give your life to Christ in a personal way, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, and the minister will give you a call. That moment when you realize that I need Jesus, by admitting I'm a sinner, saying, God, I can't save myself. I believe that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago for me was buried and on the third day arose. And I confess. I confess. I agree with you, God. I give you everything. We made that decision tonight. Just text the word today, 270-398-5005. If you're here this tonight and you never made that decision, we ask you to make that decision tonight. As we give an invitation, just come to the front. I'll be at the front. Ministers in the front pews. Just talk to one of them. Or maybe you want to join this church or some other decision. But indecision is your decision. Would you stand by your heads? Heavenly Father, on this longest night, Jesus endured everything for us. He endured the beatings, the the torture. He endured the illegalities of this trial. And he did it for us. And so, Father, tonight I pray you help us that we will understand who Jesus is and what he did for us and accept this free gift of salvation because Jesus died for our sin. He took the cup that we should have had. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.